You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Thank you, dads. Thank all of you dads. You guys have a tough role. I mean, we know what the, the task of a dad is, right? It's to never make a mistake ever. Because if you do, those who love you will never forget. Right? Have it all together all the time. Now we're thankful to dads probably most of all for the way they've given us life, the way they've hopefully given us faith, and of course for giving us dad jokes. Dad jokes, oh they're the best. Like the two guys that were in line at the ATM. And the one at the ATM punching the button said, can you help me find my balance? So the other guy just shoved him. <laughs> or like the three guys that, that go into a bar. First two guys go into the bar, and the third guy ducks. That's it. That's the joke. It's, it's dad jokes. Just, just simmer. It, you'll think, it'll, it'll hit you later like it doesn't hit the third guy in that joke. All right, well, can I, can I be honest? I don't really want to preach this sermon this day. I don't want to dive in to unvarnished. I mean, I know as much as we want to celebrate fathers, a lot of us don't know our fathers, don't want to know our fathers, don't have a good relationship, and so Father's Day is like, okay, let's just put that in the rearview mirror. Don't want to think about that. For me in particular, this, this year's hard because death is evident in my own life, losing my own father, my grandfather the year before. And, and you're there too. You know, some of you as fathers are, are dealing with the death of a spouse. That was a year ago or 10 years ago. Some of you fathers are dealing with the, the death of a child. Same thing. We don't know the time frame, but it still hangs with you, right? So this is, if I'm honest with you, I'm not feeling like jumping in this today. Because there are times, as much as we might like to joke and keep it lighthearted, where the shadows of life kind of descend. They're kind of just there, and we're in the midst of a cloud. And that's, that's difficult for us. That's hard. And this series might be another reason it's difficult for me to stand before you today. Because when you talk about being an unvarnished disciple, stripping off all of the gunk, all of the exteriors that we try to project as me, sandpapering those off, that's a little bit more of a difficult process, is it not? To get down to really who we are or who we should be, who we want to be in life. Now Peter's been great. It's been really wonderful to look at Peter because his mistakes, his missteps are giving us hope. They're helping us see that we too, even though we're not the premier apostle, we too can take on this life of following Jesus. Peter that went into everything full on with confidence and determination, unafraid to make a mistake, unafraid to stumble along. But you're probably, possibly, 
in a season of life or know those seasons of life when you felt the darkness, when you felt it descend upon you. Confusion about your life, maybe wondering where God is in the midst of your life, if He even cares what you're up to anymore. And so today, as much as I'm hesitant to do it, I'm going to do what I'm set to do, to stand before you and tell you another story from the life of Peter. That's one big task, to tell you an important story, and also to give you one line, one line that Peter wrote that I'll offer to you in the midst of your shadows, in the midst of your darkness today. Now, today for our story, our geography is basically the same as it was last time we got together. And last week, uh, you guys said, well, why don't we have some pictures of Caesarea Philippi? Well, I didn't want to turn that into, this is what Brady did in the summer of 19... But I brought you pictures today, so let's take a look. Uh, in Caesarea Philippi in northern Israel, I mentioned the Temple of Pan. And so if you were to go there today, you would see still these carved nooks and crannies. In the next slide you'll see an artist's reconstruction of what it might have been to construct a temple sticking out from those caves, from those nooks and crannies, as a place of worship, where nature and worship come together for this nature God. If you step back even further in this next picture, this is also what you would see. In the distance, those arches that I mentioned that Mark Twain saw, and the beginnings of Herod Agrippa's palace. All of this is nothing more than the basement. And if you get in a drone and you pull back even further in the next picture, down in the corner where you see those little squiggly roads and a little dot where there's some white rocks, that's the Temple of Pan, and then up the mountain is Mount Hermon. It's the same geography from last week's lesson as it is today, Caesarea Philippi. Now, you don't really know exactly which mountain this took place on, where Jesus has a little prayer session with three of his inter, innermost disciples. But I think it makes the most sense that this took place right here where he stood at the gates of hell, up on Mount Hermon. So here, as we look at what has happened, these inner disciples are kind of still stinging a little bit, still confused, still uncertain, because we've been through this whiplash tour of Peter where we saw what it was like for the first couple of days of following Jesus, and he couldn't keep up. The fisherman couldn't keep up with the carpenter. Last week, in this second episode, we get Peter correctly get the answer to the question of who Jesus is, and Jesus says, yeah, shut up about it. Don't tell anyone. And he begins to define what that's really supposed to look like for Jesus to be king, and Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus turns around, and Jesus rebukes Peter. So Peter's still stinging from those wounds, still processing what it means for Jesus to say, oh yeah, I'm going to be a king, but we're not going to go to battle in quite the way that you anticipate. It's going to be a different kind of battle. It's one I'm going to die at the hands of religious leaders and be raised again. So that's the scene. Caesarea Philippi, are you with me on the mountain now? Well, let's stand up if we're able and read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 28. 
Now about eight days after these sayings took place, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. And they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they'd stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And, and just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then, from the cloud came a voice, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days and told no one any of the things that they had seen. The word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. Wow, this is a weird story, right? If they had stuff to sort through before this about what it means to go and to battle with Jesus, they've got even more to sort through now. Because as Jesus has rebuked his disciples and said, no, I'm not going to be that kind of king. In fact, if you even begin to try to take the kingdom by a coup, by military force, by some kind of oversetting the convention of Jewish religious leaders, it's not going to work. That's not the kind of leader I'm going to be. And so in their confusion, they enter into further confusion. Now, I understand this could be like an impossible thing for us to believe. It's a story where just these inner circle, Peter, John, and James, get to see it. Peter, the outspoken one. John, the grandpa of the apostles, the one that was the last of them alive. And John's brother, uh, James. These were the ones that got to be here. And in this scene, they are surrounded by, again, dead people or future dead people. Right? They're laid down with sleep, and they wake up from the death of their sleep to see Jesus talking to dead people. Now, what exactly do you talk to dead people about? Well, death. In the Gospel of Luke, we get the topic of what they were talking about. And Luke tells us in verse 31 that they were talking to him about his departure, his exodus, and what he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, if I were to talk with dead people, I would probably want to talk about death. How about you? You know, what are you up to? How, how are things going? What was that death thing like at the end? What, what's, it, what's it like? And maybe, just maybe, you and I might want to say, well, 
can you give me a little insight on my own life? I've, I've got a little bit of question about my own life. Maybe you could help me out with it. Well, I don't know. This is an interesting conversation that takes place. And maybe you would ask different questions depending upon who it was. Or maybe what insight they might be able to give. I don't know about you, but when it comes to death, there's often questions that, that rise to the top of our consciousness. Things that we would like to ask. Maybe even ask of God. Why death? Why suffering? It's pretty easy for us to forget that we're talking to the God who decided to enter life, right? The God who said, I'm going to take on flesh in the form of skin and bones, and I'm going to live among you and experience death. I guess it makes sense that Jesus, in the opportunity to talk about death, talks about his departure. Because our God, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, the God still present in the form of the Holy Spirit, was able to walk through death and experience it and even discuss his own exit strategy. It shouldn't be shocking at all that God cares about death and God cares about what we've gone through. Well, here in this story, Peter and John and James are weighed down with sleep and they kind of miss what's going on. This is a prayer experience. And they kind of begin to wake up and see what's going on with these dead people. And they, they just catch the very end of it about this discussion about Jesus' exodus and his departure. And Peter speaks up. And Peter speaks up and says, hey, I'll build a temple. I'll build a tabernacle, a lean-to tent for each one of you, for Jesus, for Moses, for Elijah. And this is, this is where we like to spend a lot of our time here is trying to figure these things out. I don't know what's going on here. Could it be a reference to the Feast of the Booths where they for eight days had a camp out, cook out, remembering their time in the wilderness? Could be. But the shocking thing of, of this story is it's about God dwelling with us. God dwelling with us in our darkness, in our confusion. When things are heavy and unsettling. Because the reaction of Peter and John and James is complete and utter terror. They're afraid. Whenever you have a spiritual experience like this, a vision, fear and terror is often the result. In fact, if you look at the witness of Scripture, if you trace when people come in contact with a messenger of God or of God, a theophany, an appearance of God, the primary reaction is fear and terror, and the person, uh, the messenger of God or God himself is saying, calm down, it's okay, don't be afraid. Fear is a normal response. And from that fear and from that, they enter into silence and they don't tell anyone about it. They don't tell anyone about the voice that breaks through the cloud that descends. The voice that says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The voice that makes crystal clear what has been confusing and only on the lips of Peter and a bunch of demons throughout the gospel, whatever gospel you choose. Here, God is articulating who Jesus is and what it is about. 
Well, this strange and dazzling story is one that's worth reading and coming to understand. And it's inexplicable. You know, it's hard for me to make sense of it. I don't know about you, but when people are changed into brilliant, white, shining light and crazy things happen, it seems very strange. Maybe the strangest thing of all is that Peter has these outlandish things that he says and he doesn't get corrected. Did you notice that? No, no correction at all. He says these things and they move on from them. You know, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the confusing things that are in your life, we need moments like this one to look back on. Do you know what I mean? Where you look at your own life and you can point to those times when you had certain assurances that God was with you, that God had acted. Because God brought you the right person or puts you in the right place or gave you the right job or the right insight or how to respond, right? You have these moments that you look back onto and you need to cling onto and hold onto because there will be other future more difficult things that you go to. And so you need those moments in order to be able to look back and to turn to them. Now, I promised you that I was going to give you a story from Peter's life, albeit a very strange one, but I also promised to give you a verse, a line. Now, you probably know that I'm not one that's given to theme verses, a theme verse for a book or for a letter or for a person. That can be very reductionistic, you know, taking an expansive personality or an expansive book and trying to reduce it down. But this line that I'm about to give you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, is one that really has wisdom from the lips and the pen of Peter. Let me read it to you. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring you when he is revealed. Now, now this verse is filled with testosterone. I, I can hear Peter saying it. Discipline yourselves, prepare yourself, get ready. But it's the second part of this verse that I want us to hear and see. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring to you when he is revealed. That's the teaching that I think Peter got over the whole course of his life that I want us to cling on to in this moment. He is telling us to set our hope on the grace that will come to us. Now, the word that I want you to key in on is the word bring. That word bring of the grace that Jesus will bring to you means carry. It means bear, endure, bring. Can you picture Jesus bringing to you grace in the future? Do you think Peter, at any point in his life, could imagine the kind of grace that Jesus would carry and bring to him? Here's what I'm wanting you to hear. What Peter is pointing us to is not just a looking back, not just looking back at the things God has done, not just looking back at our mistakes and what we've done wrong and how we've failed God. No, not that. But a looking forward. 
A looking forward to where Jesus is, where he has already drug his cross to bring us his grace and to offer his grace out in the future. A grace that overshadows us and comes down upon us and at times might seem confusing. In our lives, whenever these times of darkness come, a lot of times the first thing that we think of is, where is God? That God's not with me in the midst of this darkness. That God's not there in the confusion when I can't make sense of life. Well, let me give you a little bit of insight. If you look around your life and you are seeking God, and you are living with God, and you see still this darkness and you feel this absence, odds are God's not far away. God's right there in the midst of that confusion. I know that sounds odd, but think about the Mount of Transfiguration. In this moment when they were confused and terrified and didn't know what was going on, they were very much in the presence of the divine, so much in the presence of the divine They couldn't talk about it for some time. It took being able to look back and see what God has done. Does that make sense? We need times like this when we can anticipate and look to the grace that God is going to offer us in the future. Because brothers and sisters, does Jesus seem worried at any point? Does he look around and just complain about the apostles? Do you hear Jesus slapping his forehead? I mean, sometimes we think that. We think, you know, they're asleep, and so Jesus wring his hands. What am I going to do? How is God going to work? Jesus is not worried about their mistakes or your mistakes. He's not. God is going to do what God is going to do. And we have to get our focus off of the present moment, off of our mistakes, Because life is grace. All of it. A grace that enables us to act. A grace that enables us to respond. A grace that enables us to teach. A grace that enables us to train and prepare ourselves for who God is making us to be. Out in the future, with all the grace that's going to be revealed for us. Brothers and sisters, that's very encouraging to me. To know that Jesus is waiting in the future to receive me and to receive my mistakes. In these times of confusion, it can be overwhelming. For Judas, Judas thought he was doing the right thing by pushing Jesus into the limelight. And the emotional effect, the psychological effect of abandoning the one that you love meant meant Judas didn't make it out of that night alive. He got stuck. He got stuck thinking God is in a condemnation mode. That that one mistake was going to do him in. Peter was stuck too, but not to that end. And a story like Judas and a story like Peter, Peter's and a wisdom from Peter that says, I set my hope on the grace that's going to be revealed to me is one that lets me know God can forgive Judas. He can forgive us in those moments when we get stuck and we make a mistake. He's not worried about one moment, one event of our life, wherever it might be. God has his focus on the larger trajectory of where we're going. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have a bad day. 
You're going to get into disagreements, even with God. It's going to be difficult and hard at times, but one thing doesn't make you. It's at times like this that we learn to hear what God says about Jesus. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In other Gospels, to know that we are loved by God, created by God, and that God wants to live inside of us. That is an amazing set of circumstances for me. That God can be present with us maybe most in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of what we're struggling, because God has been there. He's been there and will be there all along. When those dark clouds settle in on us, they will lift. Two things are curious to me as I close. In 1 Peter 1, verse 2, in 2 Peter 1, verse 2, in Jude 1, verse 2, it talks about grace and peace being ours in abundance. I think Peter knew a lot about grace and peace. And a friend who maybe he met, maybe he didn't, Dr. Luke, the story that we just read today, if you flip to chapter 1, verse 78, this is one of the ways that Luke opens his gospel to the words of Zechariah. Luke 1, 78. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet in the way of peace.